Hello and welcome back to Beniah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 14. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. 2 Samuel 1.25 On the third day after they had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, a young man was brought to Ziklag before David with his clothes torn and dust on his head as a sign of great mourning. He fell to the ground and prostrated himself before David. Benaiah stood at David's right hand. What is your report? David asked him. The man answered, I have come from the battle between Israel and the Philistines, in which the king and his sons were fighting. David leaned forward. Tell me everything you know. The Israelites have retreated from battle. Many people have been killed, including Saul and his son Jonathan. David flinched as if he had received a physical blow to his middle. Then he schooled his features and asked, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? The man seemed to brighten as he began to retell the story of the defeat of David's enemies. By chance I was on Mount Gilboa when I saw King Saul leaning towards his upraised sword. He was looking over his shoulder at the advancing chariots and horsemen. He must have known he could not escape. Then he saw me and motioned for me to come to him. He asked who I was. I told him I was an Amalekite. Then he surprised me by saying, Please kill me before those Philistines get here and torture me. David showed no emotion as the man continued his account of Saul and Jonathan's deaths. So I did as he asked and killed him, because he didn't have long to live anyway. He had been severely wounded by the archers. Here is proof that it was really the king. He drew a crown and an arm bracelet from his sack and laid them at David's feet. When David saw Saul's crown and bracelet before him, he stood and took hold of his own clothes and tore them in grief. Benaiah and all those present did the same. They wept, fasted, and mourned for King Saul, Prince Jonathan, and the soldiers of Israel until evening. In the evening David summoned the man before him again. He asked him to retell his story and then said, How could it be that you weren't afraid to take the life of the king the Lord's anointed? Since you admitted it yourself, in fact, you boasted about it, you have sealed your judgment. Then David turned to Benaiah and said, Execute him. As Benaiah approached the Amalekite, he cried out, I didn't do it. He was already dead when I found him. I only said it for a reward. I didn't kill Saul. But Benaiah silenced him with one stroke of his sword. The lamentations continued well into the week. It had been such an emotional week having returned from battle to find Ziklag burned and their families gone, pursuing the enemy and fighting them for a whole day, and then traveling back to their burned-out homes, only to hear the news about Israel's defeat and the death of the king and his three sons. Benaiah recognized the judgment of God on Saul and his descendants, and what this would mean in clearing the way for David to become king over Israel, as God had promised. While he had no personal affection for Saul, he did respect Jonathan and recognized him as David's friend. He had visited David in the forest in the wilderness of Ziph and encouraged him. He wasn't at all threatened by David, but even as the heir to Saul's throne, Jonathan recognized that David would one day be the next ruler of Israel. Benaiah even overheard Jonathan once tell David, Don't be afraid of my father Saul. God won't let him find you. I know you'll be the next king of Israel, and I'd be honored to serve next to you. Prince Jonathan was an extraordinary man, and Benaiah heard he had protected David 
and interceded for him with his irrational father many times, warning him to flee when he determined that Saul meant to harm him. Because of that, Benaiah mourned his loss. That evening, David wrote a song of lament for Saul and Jonathan and shared it with the company. He called it the Song of the Bow. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty. The bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet, with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. Benaiah couldn't help but marvel that David was so gracious toward the memory of Saul, his enemy, who had pursued him these many years, seeking his life. He was truly an extraordinary man. Soon after hearing about the death of Saul, instead of rebuilding Ziklag, David inquired of the Lord, asking if he should go up to any of the cities of Judah. They had lived with the Philistines for a year and four months. The Lord directed him to go to Hebron. So David and his company and their households went to Hebron. David also took his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, now very far along in her first pregnancy, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Then the men of Judah, David's tribe, came and anointed David king over the house of Judah. They informed him that the men of the town of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who had buried the bodies of Saul and his sons. They were loyal to the king because he had once saved them from an attack by the Ammonites. They were the ones who had found him and his sons slain, their heads removed, their armor stripped and placed in the temple of the Ashtoreths. Their bodies had been fastened to the wall of Beth Shan in a grisly display. These valiant men traveled all night and brought the bodies back to Jabesh Gilead to burn them. Then they buried their bones under a tamarisk tree and fasted for seven days of mourning. David was impressed with the men of Jabesh Gilead in that they realized it was shameful to leave the dead unburied. He sent messengers to them saying, May God bless you for the kindness you've shown to your Lord Saul in burying him. I will surely repay you for this kindness. Since Saul has died, you should know that the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Benaiah understood the intent of this message was to show the Gileadites he held no malice toward the now deceased king, and it was setting the stage for his own leadership over them. Mariah kneaded the dough on the flour table. Benaiah smiled at the scene. She was so petite, yet she attacked the doe as if she were defending her child from a wild beast. Is there any threat to David's throne from Saul's other son? What was his name? Ishbosheth? she asked. Benaiah tilted his head. He liked discussing politics with Moriah. Not an imminent threat. 
but Saul's general Abner has installed Ishbosheth king over Israel. For these two years he's kept his distance from David, and there have been no hints of war. His hold over the country is only as strong as his alliance with Abner. It's essentially a military leadership, and Ishbosheth well knows it. He's a weak leader and would not remain in power without the aid of Abner. That's good to know. I'd hate to see any fighting between Israel and Judah, since we're brothers. Mariah pushed on the dough one more time with the heel of her hand, pulled half of it towards her, then turned it out into a clay bowl and covered it with a towel to rise. Benaiah rose and took his wife in his arms, despite her sticky, flowery hands and her protests. He kissed the top of her head. Let's pray we can have a period of peace and rest from all our enemies. Once they were established in Hebron, David took even more wives who bore him many children. His firstborn son was named Amnon, and he was the son of Ahinoam. Abigail, the widow of Nabal, bore him a son named Kiliab, who was sometimes called Daniel. His third son was Absalom by his wife Maka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, which was a territory north of Ishbosheth's shaky realm. His fourth son was Adonijah by his wife Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah by his wife Abital. The sixth son was Ithream by his wife Eglah. Benaiah understood the custom of kings taking many wives for political reasons, but as the son of a priest he knew that the people of Israel were not to be like the nations around them. Yahweh had warned them that, when they had a king, he was not to multiply horses or wives or enrich himself with silver and gold. Yet David now had six wives and even more concubines. Benaiah respected most everything David did, but this caused him some consternation. He saw the example of the patriarchs, Abraham and Jacob, who had children by more than one woman. It caused strife among the women and children, as the parents inevitably chose favorites. Surely it would not bode well for David when the time came when all these darling children were adults vying for his throne. Benaiah couldn't imagine the strife in a house with more than one wife. He found it enough of a challenge to please one wife, but the thought of Moriah brought a smile to his face. Yes, he'd like this day to be over so he could hurry home to please her. Continue listening for chapter 15.